Hi, my name's Taylor Chapman, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Let's actually jump right on in there, and let's see what God has in store for you with today's message. Anybody watching TV know what's going on in the world? I'm not real big fan of current events. I've never preached on current events. Um, you probably won't hear me preach on current events ever again. Um, I try to stick to the Bible, and that is the most current event that we need to worry about. But the Bible has brought us forth to a current event that is taking place right now in a little place called Israel. Anyone ever heard of it? Yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about Israel this week, and then next week my dad's going to be preaching, and he's going to answer some questions that I know you all have. The tribulation, are you pre-trib, post-trib, the millennial reign, whenever God comes back, are we going to be in heaven, are we going to be on earth, are we going to be in paradise, where, where does all that, what, what does this faith Christian thing that we're living look like when it comes to the end times, and so I want to encourage you to bring somebody with you next week, because I promise you, uh, he gave me the spiel about a year and a half ago, and whenever I, we were talking about something, and uh, I promise you it'll be life-changing for you to be here, so be here next Sunday for that. But today we're going to do a a history lesson. Um, Normally I preach and get all excited and teach in the middle of it and throw out a bunch of little tweetable quotes. Today there's no tweetable quotes, but you're going to walk away having a very good understanding of why we care about Israel so much. Um, I hope to bring you some information that maybe you haven't connected the dots. Maybe you've heard in bits and pieces and hopefully all those dots today get connected for you. Um, In your outline, in your notes, I've got several references to chapters in the Bible. I didn't put the whole thing because it's kind of the theme of the chapter, so you can go back later and find out more info on those areas if you want to. Uh, In Genesis 12, there is a man named Abram. He comes from a pagan family, but God chooses him and tells him to leave his father and mother and go to a land that I will show you. Right from the beginning of Genesis, God doesn't even tell Abraham where the land's at. We see God cares about faith right from the very beginning of the walk of what of what Abraham's going to do. And so God tells Abraham, go to this land. I'm not even going to show you, but, uh, but this land is a very significant piece of land. This land has been in contention for 4,000 years. Abraham decides to listen to God. He leaves his father and mother, and God honors him in his obedience. Three chapters later in Genesis 15, God appears to Abraham again, or Abram again, and reveals to him what is known as the Abrahamic Covenant. Anybody ever heard of the Abrahamic Covenant? Yes. Okay. Good, good, good. If not, that's fine. I'm going to tell you what it is. God makes a series of promises to Abraham. The amazing thing about this particular covenant is God is the one who initiates the covenant, which means the covenant will be fulfilled by God and not man. Meaning it is an unbreakable covenant because it is secured by the promise of God. That's very important to understand as we go through today's lesson. The Abrahamic covenant is in Genesis chapter 15. It has three distinct separate aspects of what the covenant is all about. And that's what we're going to focus our time on this morning. Let's look at number one. The the first distinct aspect of Abraham's covenant with God is, write this down in your notes, the land. The land. These answers will be up on the slides behind us. The land, which is, uh, which God promised a piece of land to the descendants of Abraham. And write down the land, which is the promised land. 
the second aspect of this Abrahamic covenant, right down number two, is the lineage. It's a hard word to say. I got it up there. Hard word to spell. I look at all those eyes looking up there how to spell lineage. <laughs> uh, the lineage, the Bible teaches us that through Abraham would come a son, and, that's, and through that son would come a great nation. And write this down, the lineage, which is the Jews. In that land and through the process, there would come the third aspect. Write this down. Number three would be the Lord. All of this would prophetically pave the way for the coming of the Messiah, the Lord, which is Jesus Christ. In that moment that God spoke that covenant, a spiritual war began. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but every time God creates something, Satan does what he can to create a counterfeit of what, <clears throat> of what God created. When we look at the Abrahamic covenant with God, it covered three aspects, and Satan created a counterfeit for the very same covenant, which I will unpack over the message today. Since the covenant of Abraham took place, there's been a constant war in the land, Israel, <laughs> over the lineage. Will they be destroyed or will they not be destroyed? The Lord who is the genuine, true, almighty God. This land is known as the promised land. For those of you who have not put the dots together, the promised land is the land that Moses and Joshua were talking about, is Israel. Are we following me? That makes sense? That is the promised land that the Israelites were given out of Egyptian slavery. This land is talked about over a thousand times in the Old Testament and a little under 700 times in the New Testament. This land is crucial to political history, but even more, it is crucial to prophetic history. In Genesis 16, we're going to do a little Bible story here. Abraham and Sarah struggled to believe the promises of what God had spoken to them because God told them that they would have the, the lineage of the Messiah would come through them. But Sarah and Abraham were incapable of having children. They were both elderly, uh, and Sarah was actually barren. So, so Sarah and Abraham did not see how they were going to have a child when they were barren and of elder age. Um, after years of holding on to the hope of God's word, Sarah in her hopelessness devised a plan for a child to be born of Abraham. Sarah talked Abraham into having a second wife and to have a son with that woman. So Abraham has a wife named Sarah, and Abraham listens to his wife and takes on a second wife named Hagar. She is an Egyptian unbeliever, and together they have a son named Ishmael. An angel actually appears to Hagar and tells her that she is going to have a son, and this is what the angel says in verse 12 of chapter 16 in your notes. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. The angel told Hagar, you're going to have a son and he's going to be like a donkey. Wouldn't you love an angel to show up and tell you that? Hey, Dodie twins, you guys are like donkeys. Did an angel show up? No? Okay, keep going. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Ishmael goes on to have 12 sons of his own. Remember, Satan always tries to create a counterfeit of truth. Eventually what happens is God fulfills his prophetic promise to Abraham and Sarah, and they have a son, and they name him Isaac. Then Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons who, is, who becomes the 12 tribes of Israel. It would be these 12 tribes that take possession of the promised land under the leading of Joshua. 
Are you following me so far? Are you following me? Okay, so now we have Abraham. He has two wives. Doesn't seem very smart, but he has two wives. He has two children, and the problem is there's only one covenant. Two wives, two children, one covenant. The covenant of the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham was for the land, for the lineage, and who is the true genuine Lord. So this leads to a major conflict between Sarah and Hagar, as you can imagine. This causes conflict between Isaac and Ishmael, the two sons. There is a lot at stake here. God ultimately and rightly chooses Isaac and rejects Ishmael to receive the Abrahamic covenant that was made between God and Abraham. And in Genesis 22, God tells Abraham to sacrifice his own son. Now, he couldn't have a son for 18, 19, 20 years, if not longer than that. I don't remember the exact number. For many, many years, he has a son. Now, God tells him to go and kill his own son. This doesn't seem to make sense in the Abrahamic covenant, but God was showing a picture of what was to come with the Messiah. So let's read in your outline to give you a greater, better understanding of this text. Genesis 22, verse 9 through 14. When they came to the place of which God had told, had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Scholars believe that Jesus was crucified in that same vicinity 2,000 years later. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. All of this foreshadows the Messiah. Jesus carries a cross on his back. He willingly gets on the cross and to be put to death by his own father. 2,600 years later, now we're going to get into some, got to pay attention. Uh, 2,600 years after Isaac was on the altar, About 600 years after Jesus had died, a man named Muhammad says he was in a cave and was visited by an angel. Again, remember, uh, Satan creates counterfeits. Do you understand that? Satan creates counterfeits. So Muhammad was not actually visited by an angel, but rather visited by a demon. Okay, we're all on the same page. Muhammad said he received revelation from a demon, claimed that it was an angel, and for 23 years, this demon visited him and told him different things about the Bible that were false and needed to be adjusted or corrected. We know it could have not been an angel because in your notes, read Galatians 1.8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, Let him be accursed. There you go. So we know it wasn't an actual angel. Muhammad is visited by a demon and tells him to begin prophesying and presenting to the world a new religion. The essence of what is said was that Hebrew scripture is wrong and God chose Ishmael instead of Isaac to be the bloodline. Are you following me so far? 
Okay, then Islam will say, as a result of the Abrahamic covenant belongs not to Isaac, the Jewish people, but the descendants of Ishmael, who are the Palestinians and the Arabs. Okay, you guys are starting to click. Um, They say, it is our land, it is our lineage, and we worship our Lord, not Jesus, but Allah. The constant war has, between the, has been between these three elements, the land, the lineage, and the lordship. Today, Christianity is presented by a what? A cross. Uh, Islam is presented by a crescent. On top of a mosque is a crescent moon shape. What happened two weeks ago? The earth presented forth a crescent the day after war broke out. In the heavenlies, God is showing a war is taking place and it's fruitioning itself on earth, but there's a greater battle taking place in heaven because something's about to go down. The the Hamas are Palestinians who are direct descendants of Ishmael. Israel are Jews who are descendants of Isaac. This battle has been occurring for 4,000 years. If you've been watching on the news, you have seen Islam people shouting the phrase, Allah Ark Mar, which means our God is greater. This is a declaration that the demon working through these people consider themselves to be greater than Jesus Christ. Fighting for the third element, the lordship, who is Lord. Doesn't that sound just like what Satan wanted whenever he was kicked out of heaven? He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be honored. He wanted to be a little bit higher. And what's he trying to do? The, the guy, the, the demon is so stupid, he just keeps representing himself thinking we're not going to pick up on it. He is doing the same thing he's always done and that is create deception and counterfeit. Ephesians 6.12 tells us this in your notes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When you see conflict in the natural visible realm, there is far greater conflict in the unseen realm. If you don't know what that means, go back and watch our last series. We talked about that several different ways. Uh, Where we find ourselves now is the Palestinians are in the Gaza Strip. If you've been watching the news, you know where that's at. There are about 2 million people who live in this strip of land. Uh, Only 2% of Jews are Christians. Only 2% of Palestinians are Christians. So just know. Uh, I hear a ringing. Can you... Is there a ringing? Okay, just making sure I'm not having hot flashed. Can guys have hot flashed? I don't Okay. I probably can. When, what the Hamas terrorist group has done is what is called is a double bind. What this means is Hamas attacked. If Israel does not counter, it will show weakness and other groups of people will mimic what they did and Israel will have further attacks on it. On the other side of the bind, when Israel attacks back, because of the population and the size of the area, there will be many civilians killed. It's a no-win situation. 
Uh, Hamas knows they cannot win a war with Israel. So they have been given over the past several years uh, several hundred millions of dollars because it was supposed to help create the infrastructure of Palestine and Iran and all that. But they went and took that money and built barricades and put them under schools, hospitals, and church buildings or mosques. So here is what happens. Hamas has created a human shield to stop them from getting killed. And whenever Israel attacks Hamas, that land, who are they going to have to take out first? The children, the weak and disabled, and the religious. It's a no-win situation. What do you do? Um, Yes. Uh, (laughs) So... So what will happen is the world will begin to cry injustice because Israel is attacking civilians and what they are trying to do is to create this uh, idea that Israel are terrible because they're attacking the children, the people who are in the hospitals, and the religious people. So Gaza is surrounded by Israel and here, here's Israel, it's like a, uh, we'll call it like a, I don't know what you call that, like. It's like this. Here's Israel. I'm going to turn this around. Here's Israel right here. And um, uh, at the bottom of Israel, you have Egypt. At the top of Israel, uh, you, you have Hamas not letting people get out. Hamas has stationed people at the northern tip of Israel so that the civilians cannot leave. They've structured a deal with Egypt from the south that they have closed the border on the south so now the Israelis, the Jews, the Palestinians, everyone who's a part of that territory cannot leave the area. Do you understand what's taking place? Hamas is killing their own people. They are choosing to put... I'm about to start running in this room because i got to teach you something. Okay, Islam is primarily a religion of death. The greatest honor in their religion is to die a martyr. They are calling for their people to die for Allah because Allah tells you that you get all the wives you want, you get all these promises in your afterlife, and they call death an honor. The word Hamas is actually written in the Bible, in your notes, Genesis 6-11. The earth is corrupt and filled, uh, possessed is another word, with violence with Hamas. Demonic uh, possession is the counterfeit of being filled with the Spirit of God. Hamas is a spirit. It is a spirit of violence that is antichrist that is assigned by Satan to attack the Abrahamic covenant. I'm telling you, Hamas has been working itself around since the days of the flood of Noah. Hamas is a spirit that has entered the people and whenever the flood came, God wiped out all the people but here is the thing, the people were wiped out, but the spirit remained working in the different areas. And we have seen this spirit rise up in the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the Egyptian empire. So the point of it is the people come and go, but the spirit remains the same. Are you following me? The spirit has been working through different nations to regain the three elements, land, lineage, and who is the Lord. So let's get back to our Bible story. All right. I got to calm down because there's a lot more I want to go and I'm not going to because of time. Abraham now has two wives, Sarah and Hagar. There is a conflict in the home. No man should have two wives. I'm going to tell you just from the natural side, that's dumb. Like, Abraham really, 
Wow. And so there's conflict in the home. Abraham is the father of two sons, Ishmael coming from Hagar, Isaac coming from Sarah. Two wives, two sons, but one covenant. Let's look at the text and see in Genesis 16, 5, what happens to Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong Hamas done to me be on you. I gave my servant Hagar to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived Ishmael, Ishmael. she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. All right. So Sarah invited Hagar into the home. It was her idea for her husband to marry the Egyptian woman. Then Sarah told Abraham, we need to cast out Hagar because she has brought Hamas into our home. What's Hamas? So Abraham had a choice to make. Do I cast out Hagar, who has the Hamas spirit, or do I cast out Sarah, who has the Holy Spirit? We see it as an easy choice, but, but, but we understand the ramifications, and Abraham did not. He saw that he had two wives, two kids, and he had a responsibility to take care of them. He didn't understand how bad things were going to get. Let me say it this way. He is a man. Sometimes men don't see full fully past where we're at. We get into our nothing box and nothing really seems to matter except for where we are currently at. Do you understand? I imagine that is what's going on here. Abraham is confused. He's sitting in his nothing box thinking, I did exactly what my wife told me to do and it's not working out. Every time I listen to her, I get in trouble and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Do I take Hagar who's got a son who is older who can be, who can be an heir to the family or do I take uh, Isaac and and Sarah, who has a little baby who hasn't been developed over the last 16, 18 years. So uh, I, I'm not really sure what to do. So Abraham, ultimately, we know the Bible, we've read the story, chooses Sarah and he cast out Hagar and Ishmael, who Ishmael carried the what spirit? Hamas spirit. The battle took place in Abraham's home is the same battle that's been taking place in Israel ever since. The Hamas spirit Verse the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 21, we see when Abraham actually cast out Hagar, we see the story of why Abraham decided to choose Sarah over Hagar. Isaac was two years old. Isaac's just a toddler. Um, and he's getting beat up by Ishmael, a 16-year-old. Have you ever heard of a fair fight between a 16-year-old bully and a two-year-old baby? All right, you got to pay attention to this. Ishmael comes with the spirit of Hamas or violence. The spirit of Hamas has no regard for children. <laughs> I don't think you're saying yes, but you don't understand the ramifications of what the demonic spirit's doing. This is why you see the Hamas group online and, and on TV doing what they're doing to women and children. There is no regard for children. The Hamas spirit doesn't give a rip about what happens to children, to women, or to people. In addition to this, when you read the very next book of the Bible in Exodus... The Pharaoh tells his men to kill all the children two years and under who are under the lineage of Isaac. The Hamas spirit has been working since the very beginning trying to take the land, the lineage, and the Lord. So what happened? This battle has been going on for 4,000 years. 
And we see why the battle is happening. Because Hagar and Sarah both had children. Both had children with Abraham. And God had made a covenant with Abraham. So there's one covenant. So for 4,000 years, the Palestinians, the Arabs, all of that group of people have been going and fighting Israel to take the land, the lineage, and the lordship. So now don't you think your decisions make a little bit more importance when you make them? You don't know and understand the ramifications of a decision that you make. Abraham never thought 4,000 years later there would still be wars and fighting and innocent killings, all because he listened to his wife. So now the question becomes, we know, we see Israel, we see how Israel came to be, we see that it was the promised land chosen by God for God's people. Now we look at it as, are we in the end times? Does everyone understand where Israel's at? We're very clear on that. Okay. Um, In your notes, there's a word called eschatology. It is the doctrine of last things. Islam eschatology states they will rule the entire earth, every nation. They will rule through the Quran and Sharia law. Sharia, how do I say it? Law. Sharia law. It is not a religion of proposition. It's a religion of imposition. Convert or die. They believe Islam will rule the world. In, in Detroit, in America right now, there's a community of Islam people who follow under this doctrine. Local police, local authority, no one will go in that area because they have zero regard for you and I. They have zero regard for American law. They have zero regard because they fall under their own law, which is the Sharia law. They fall under their own patterns, which is the Islam patterns. So in Islam or in Detroit, you have this going on. In France or Paris, you have them putting a curfew on because there's so much rioting and protesting going on in the streets. And what is the Islam people saying? We don't care if you put a curfew on us. We don't care about your laws. We're going to keep doing whatever we want to do. We follow our own our own way of life. We follow our own God. You mean absolutely nothing to us. Christianity, Christian eschatology, is Jesus Christ is coming as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will be the judge and the reigning king. The eschatology of Islam is that they will come into a place to bring a one world order, and they will appoint a new king to be over the kingdom. Do you see a counterfeit trying to take place? Do you see it? Okay, so the question becomes, are we living in the end times? Matthew 24, 7 and 8. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. What are some of the birth pains that come before the ultimate return of Jesus? They're found in Ezekiel 38 and 39. I referenced them in your notes. They talk about a final war. There will be constant attack from the nations surrounding Israel. We have seen for 4,000 years Israel has been attacked. That's nothing new. Um, But I, I do want you to think about that. Could a nation 
any nation for that matter, withstand 4,000 years of attack and still be considered a nation. That proves that there is a God and God is over that nation. They have withstood 4,000 years of attacks. Does that make sense? Okay, so Ezekiel, uh, which I would advise before next Sunday, read Ezekiel uh, 38 and 39. It'll help you with your understanding of what Dad's going to talk about. Ezekiel names some countries surrounding Israel. For our understanding, we would look at it as if Israel is America. So we have America here, we have Canada above us and Mexico below us. Uh, Ezekiel tells us that there will be an invasion from the north and the south. And the primary result of what the invasion is taking is the exact same thing as the Abrahamic covenant. The land, the people, the lineage, and the lordship. The Bible calls this invasion from the north and from the south, Armageddon. In the north, you have Gog and Magog. It's stupid names, I get it, but that, that's what they're called. We know them as modern-day Russia. There is Persia, is Iran on the side. Uh, Iran is the puppet master for Hamas. Then you have Gogur, Gogur, G-O-G-E-R in, in uh, Ezekiel, and that is Turkey, and they are nearly fully Muslim. In the south, you have Sudan in South uh, Central Africa. So when you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, the war that ultimately leads to Armageddon, are we in the last days? Only time in this war will tell us. If we start seeing uh, Iran get behind what's taking place, uh, if we see Turkey and Russia start coming in from the north, watch out. Because soon after that is going to be North Korea and China coming from the south. And Ezekiel tells us when there's a war coming from the north and the south, it's the war to end all wars. So there are a lot of birth pains taking place. You can see it. I mean, there's been people trying to prophesy the end of time many, many times. They've been wrong every time, obviously, because we're here. And none of them made sense until this war. And now things can begin to start playing out. Hamas is trying to take the land in the lineage and stop the will of the Lord from being done. But Ezekiel shows us something amazing about this war. At the end of Ezekiel 39, here's what it basically says. This will be the war that Israel would lose. This would, the, the Israel will lose the land. They would be eradicated as people. And the will of the Lord could not have been accomplished. But when you see this happen... This is when Jesus comes down to win the war, and Israel will win. Zechariah 14, 4, 1 through 4 in your notes reads this. Can you, can you guys come up to the piano, worship? We're going to do something different. Come up to the worship. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord yeah. when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. 
For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. The Lord will go out and fight against those nations. As when the fight's on a day of battle. And Jesus will reign victorious. I want to encourage you. Are we in the end times? I don't want to scare you. I want to show you biblical evidence Yes, we are in the end times. With this war taking place, the return of Jesus could literally be days and days away. Again, I'm not trying to overcomplicate life. What I'm telling you is if there's aught in your life against family members, against friends, against co-workers, it's time to go make those things right. You don't know how much more time you have left. And all the signs show it's coming soon. Thank you for tuning in today. The most important decision you can make is making Jesus the Lord of your life. The Bible says that because we are born into sin, there needs to be a blood sacrifice to redeem us from the curse that that sin brought us into when we were all born. God wanted to give you the opportunity to live in eternity with him. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to be that blood sacrifice for you and I. You can choose to make Jesus the Lord of your life and choose heaven, or you can choose to make this sinful world we live in your standard of living and make hell the only option. If you wanna make Jesus the Lord of your life, we wanna give you that opportunity right now. All you have to do is repeat these words after me. Say this, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a savior. I confess my sins and I repent of those sins. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a fully devoted disciple. If you just prayed that prayer, then you are saved. Congratulations on making that life-changing decision. Now is the next step. You need to start reading your Bible and get into a good Bible-believing church. You will find other people who've made the same decision that you just did, and you will help each other grow to become all that God has called you to be. If you just prayed that prayer, I want you to know that I am praying for you, that I am for you, but I need to know about it. If you would go to pathwaychurchok.com, that is pathwaychurchok, just the letters O and K.com, send us a message and let us know you prayed that prayer, and we'll send you some free resources to help you start your journey with Christ that you just started today. Thank you again for tuning in. Congratulations once again. We'll see you next time right here.